Welcome back to Drunkenly Paranormal, your dose of debauchery in a dastardly drunken podcast. I'm your host, Salem, and I'm joined as always by a man currently holding a demon in one hand and a beer in another. Harlem, uh, what's your friend's name? Lil' Bitch. Lil' Bitch the Demon? Yeah. Is that the only demon, like, pal- you know, in the house today? Yep, and he's my little bitch. That's why he's in my hand. Yeah, I saw him, uh... Like, little bitch. I saw him trying to be, like, demonic earlier, and you were like, No! Clean the toilet, bitch! Yeah, my house is looking damn clean. It is looking clean. Now, for those of you who are wondering what you just stumbled across and are perhaps joining us for the first time, uh, maybe you're wondering, who are these idiots who are talking about having demons clean their house? Well, we'll tell you. We're the paranormal investigators that believe an open, expanded, and possibly inebriated mind is necessary to unlock life's mysteries. With that spirit in mind, we like to investigate with a cold drink in our hand to strengthen our courage and raise, well, certainly our spirits, but maybe others as well. Our episodes will go something like this. We'll introduce a case, present some background about it, review some history, and then we'll turn our attention to evidence. While we debate the merits of that evidence, we'll discuss the finer points of what alcohol brings to paranormal investigations. Like true gentlemen and scholars, we'll discuss the evidence and perhaps even make suggestions on how we would conduct the investigation in person. At the end, we'll vote to decide if this is something paranormal going on or if it's something you have to be drunk to believe in. How do you feel about that, Harlan? Well, got a good buzz going now, so... Yeah, we had a, we had a few beers before we started. We got, got in the mood to look into um, all that goes bump in the night. On this case, I'm not going to tell you what it's about. Instead, we're going to dive right into the story that, while it didn't start at all, it certainly brought this phenomena into the paranormal investigation collective conscience. Let's go back to the year 1996. Oh, I'm one years old. If you're Harlem, you're still shitting your pants because you're a baby. But it's okay. Because I still see myself. Yeah, you did that too. Fact but it's okay because you're a baby. Now, if you did that now uh, as an adult, you're going to sneak up the whole place, especially this shitty little studio we're in, and people will look at you like there's something wrong with you. Now, I don't agree with it, um, but that's the society we apparently live in today. But like I said before, it's the year 1996 in the small town of Abilene, Texas. Oh, man. Bumfuck Texas. You ever even heard of Abilene, Texas? Yeah. So, I had... Close to Lubbock, I think. I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't map that. If you want to map that and figure out if it's actually close to Lubbock... But it's the 27th most populous city in Texas, so by no account the largest, but it's not the smallest either. It's home to a number of universities such as Abilene Christian University, Hardin-Simmons University, and McMurray University, among several others. Oh no, Abilene's along I-20. Okay, so how far is it from Lubbock? Just... Uh, It's probably closer to us, honestly. Okay. It's probably about a four-hour drive for us. And from Lubbock? Uh, about two. Okay. So it's closer to Lubbock then? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, okay. So it's close. It's closer to Lubbock, for those of you who know Texas. Uh, in addition to those universities, uh, Abilene is also home to the U.S. Army National Guard, or to a U.S. Army National Guard unit, and 
Dyess, Dice, Air Force Base, D-Y-E-S-S, I don't know how to pronounce it. Like I said before, it's the year 1996. Sex? <laughs> wow, bro. Yeah, I messed that one up. <clears throat> We're talking about demonic shit over here. Yeah. All right, 1996, hey, okay? The TV show Friends is still on the air and thriving. The Bulls are set to win the NBA title again. The Yankees are going to win the World Series. And the Dallas Cowgirls are actually good. Just to give you an idea of how long ago that was. <laughs> now, in addition to none of these sports teams being any good anymore, well, actually, the Bulls are pretty good this year now that I stop and think about it. They got DeRozan, Lonzo Ball, uh, one other, Zach Levine, that's the guy I was thinking of. I'm sorry, is this a sports podcast? You're right. So the what I'm trying to establish is the world is a very different place, okay? And in addition to these sports teams not being any good anymore, the internet is very, 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 very young, okay? It's in its infancy. The internet is not something you can use to stream. There's no Netflix. I don't think the internet was invented until 98. No, the internet was actually invented in the 70s by the, the military. It just wasn't used by the public in, for a very long time. Uh, <clears throat> so streaming services don't exist. Cell phones look like big plastic bricks. Like you remember, like Home Alone when he was on the car phone, it was that like giant thing. Yep. Yep. And most unfortunately for us, podcasts are not a thing. In addition to all of this, people still largely paid their bills in person by visiting the local cell phone or internet provider store. That is exactly what Brian Bethel, a journalist working in the area in Abilene, Texas, was doing late on the evening in 1996. He was sitting in the former parking lot of Camelot Communications on First Street. Uh, and Camelot Communications is one of the original internet providers of that area. The store was located near a local movie theater that was kicking off a lot of ambient light. It showed the listing border of the marquee was lit up displaying the movies and times the theater offered. It was enough light for Bethel to sit in his car and write out his check for his internet service. Bethel was planning on doing nothing more than filling out his check, dropping it in Camelot's night drop slot, and heading on his way. He's completely absorbed in his work, when all of a sudden, there's a sharp and sudden knock on his driver's side window. Confused, Bethel looks up to find two boys standing there. Perv. By his account, they're quite young. One he estimates is nine, and the other is twelve. He says the two boys were dressed simply, wearing hoodies and jeans. At first, Bethel is a little annoyed. He hadn't heard the boys coming, so he's a little shocked, a little scared, and suddenly when he realizes, oh, it's just two boys, he's a little pissed that they're bothering him. To add to that frustration, he was anticipating, as soon as he rolled down the window, these two boys were going to feed him some bullshit story about why they needed money. You ever been in that situation, Harlem, where you're just driving down the road and somebody who clearly doesn't look like they need money suddenly hits you up for money? Oh, yeah. It happens all the time at a gas station, especially probably around Abilene. Yeah. I had that happen to me once in College Station. This guy wearing a suit came up to me and was like, hey, forgot my wallet at home. Can you get me just enough gas to get home? And I was like, all right, well, how much money is that? And he was like, just 10 bucks. And I was like, all right, I'm going to put it into your gas pump, and I'm going to pump it for you. 
and print the receipt because I wasn't going to let him like rip off my credit card or pump like fill his tank up at my expense. Uh, like I want to do the right thing and I want to help out people when I can. But at the same time, there are people out there that just they take advantage of like your your Generosity. charitable mood. Yeah. So Bethel anticipating this story gives his window crank and for you Gen Zers out there uh, that was a thing back in the day like you actually sometimes had to roll the window down with a hand crank oh yeah they weren't actually like all electronic I'll be cranking something in the car but it ain't the window <laughs> <laughs> just playing <laughs> just, it's music right just cranking music yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. it's the music so Bethel gives the window crank a few slow turns lowering the window just enough so he can speak out clearly just as the window cracks, Bethel, to quote him, is gripped by an incomprehensible, soul-wracking fear. I had no idea why, end quote. Bethel tries to push that fear aside, and he studies the taller of the two boys. He was suave-looking, olive-skinned, curly-haired. The younger and shorter boy was red-haired with pale skin and a freckled face. Oh, it's probably soulless, too. Probably, yeah. I mean, he is a ginger, definitely soulless. <clears throat> so, the taller boy, uh, the other boy, no, I'm talking about the taller boy, the taller boy is like the spokesman, Bethel describes the, the taller one, so the suave olive skinned one is the spokesman of the two boys, and he goes, hey, we need a ride, they wanted to see the movie Mortal Kombat, but they forgot their money at their parents house, they just wanted to see if Bethel would be willing to drive them home, so they could get their money. Now, Bethel would comment that the request seemed innocent enough. The boys had been polite, in no way threatening. Still, Bethel could not shake this fear. Something about the two boys deeply scared him. There was something wrong. Bethel continues to talk to the boys for a few more seconds before he happens to glance over at the theater's marquee, the billboard that displays the movie times and the names of the movies. He then looks down at his car's clock display, and he notices that the last showing of Mortal Kombat had already begun, and the amount of time that it would take Bethel to drive the boys to the location they had described, grab their money, and drive them back, the show would already be over. While Bethel was checking the show in the current time, the older boy kept up a string of assurances. This won't take long. We're just two little kids. We don't have a gun or anything. That doesn't sound creepy. Yeah, I was about to, literally about to ask you that. Who literally sits there and goes, Oh, I don't have a gun. It's not like I'm going to hurt you or anything. I feel like if you have no intention of hurting someone, you're you not... You saying that. Yeah, you're not going to bring up like, Oh, it's not like I have a knife. Yeah. The fact you just that, try to be genuine about it, about it. Right. So, I, I, I'm glad you keyed in on that because that... In Bethel's opinion, like, he says that the fact that they brought up they didn't have a gun and that they weren't going to hurt him was deeply, deeply unnerving. And despite the fear and the trepidation he was feeling, despite that unnerving comment, Bethel suddenly noticed that his hand was straying towards the unlock button on his door. It was like something in the boy's tone was compelling him to open the door and let them into the car. Now, it's hard to tell from the account, Bethel writes it online, 
if he was looking to the boy's eyes at this point when he felt compelled to open the door. But Bethel does recount that when he broke eye contact, um, his mind exploded into all-consuming terror. So it was like when he was looking into the boy's eyes, the only thing he could process was, I need to do what I'm being told. He felt compelled. It was like there was some type of mind control at play. It was then when he broke eye contact and he looked back that Bethel finally made a really startling discovery. The boys had cold black eyes. To quote him, the sort of eyes one sees these days on aliens or bargain basement vampires on late night television. Soulless orbs, like two great swaths of starless night. Internally, Bethel's having a panic attack. Something is definitely wrong here. The looming dread, the fear, the black eyes. He feels threatened. Bethel quickly apologizes to the kid. Stammering out some kind of excuse, he throws the car in reverse and begins to attempt to roll up the window as he does. This action sends the taller boy into a frenzy, and his face mutates, or rather, the action mutates the smaller boy's face into an expression of confusion. The taller boy slams his fist on the window and yells out, We can't come in unless you let us in! Let us in! Bethel then slams the car into forward gear and tears out of the parking lot. Only a few seconds have passed, but as he looks in the rearview mirror to see the boy's reaction at his sudden departure, they've vanished. To quote Bethel yet again, Even if they'd run, I don't believe there was any place they could have gotten from view that quickly. You know what that kind of sounds like? What does it sound like? Some vampire-ass shit where it's like you can't let them into your house unless you invite them in. Exactly. Okay. Hold on to that thought because we're going to get into theories about what these things are. And vampires is definitely one of them. So we're just going to table that for a second. Now I mentioned that before uh, all of this happened, Bethel was already working as a journalist. In fact, I looked him up. He's still working as a journalist in Abilene, Texas. He says that even if he didn't get paid to write for a living, writing is something he would still do. That night, he wrote down what happened to help him process it as kind of like a cathartic exercise. Like, I'm just going to write it down. Because I put the words on paper, now it feels like I'm no longer carrying it. He then shared the experience with a small group of friends on an email list he had. This was the spark that started the fire. Before long, Bethel's story was on the wider internet. And now you can't Google his name without his account of meeting two black-eyed kids appearing. This sounds like that movie on Netflix, too. What movie? What are we talking about? There's some movie where these guys go camping and they're these kids that are outside and they like, they're in like the middle of fucking nowhere in like an RV and then they're like broken down because I think the kids fuck with their system in the middle of the night and like the kids show up in the middle of the night and they're knocking on the door and they're like, can we play? And they're like asking all this creepy shit, like if they can come in and stuff like that. And like they have to avoid them and stuff and they're stuck there in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the day with kids and it's just like one adult do you know do you remember the name of that movie at all oh shit the outcast maybe something like that it's a horror movie right now on netflix mm, I, I know so this is this is a popular enough urban legend we're kind of getting a little ahead of the big reel i was working towards uh but that there is a movie made about it so what i'm really trying to figure out is like maybe you've actually watched the movie about it I don't know. 
Give me, let me see if I can find it. Nah, I can't find it. Alright. <laughs> it's a horror movie, but anyways, sorry. It sounds similar. So, yeah. alright. So, Bethel to this day is still receiving calls from people asking him to tell a story. So, like I mentioned before, started out small. He emailed some friends about it. He made, he then put it up on a forum, or maybe one of his friends did, and now he, he's at this point where, like, he cannot distance himself from this story. Bethel added that he did not attempt to spread this story uh, really in any way, nor did he want to be associated with it. Now, I, I actually looked him up, and he's the senior staff writer for the Abilene Reporter News. And I went through a large portion of his Twitter feed. This guy covers predominantly local government, something that's very serious and far away from the paranormal realm. So for a guy like this to be saying, yes, this definitely happened, I experienced this, makes me think like, oh, you didn't make it up. Because it's so far out of the realm of what you normally write about, and honestly... If you're reporting on government the entire time, that's your job. People want to think you're super credible, right? They want to believe like, okay, this guy is objective. He's not putting any spin on it. He's not making anything up. Yeah. And then remember like, okay, well, what if he's associated with a story about the paranormal? It immediately makes him seem uncredible. So it doesn't seem like a story. He would adamantly be like, yes, this happened. Yes. I'm not lying unless he actually experienced it because it would be a detriment to Well, he wants to distance himself from it, right? Right now. But, like, the fact that he's still, I mean, 96, over 20 years later, is still like, yeah, it happened. I, it happened. If that was the case, then why would he be distancing himself from the story? You well, know? what I'm like, trying to... To me, it seems like he made he spun up some lies and now it's like he wants to get away from that and to be taken seriously. Okay. You know? So that's an interesting point you make that he could have lied about it in the past and now he's trying to move on from it. But what I thought was, it's interesting that to this day he maintains this definitely happened and he still reports on things that most people would consider like very serious. They wouldn't want a reporter reporting on them or reporting on these events unless they like were very credible. Um, so it seems like it would be a detriment to his career to maintain like, yes, this happened and still report on the same things that he does. Yeah. So remember in, in different cases, like especially Snedecker, Snedecker family haunting, we talked about how it suddenly became really sketchy and skeptical that when people are experiencing something paranormal that they try to monetize it and make money off of it. This guy has not done that. And it actually impacts negatively how he makes his living. But he's still willing to say, like, yeah. So who wrote this book? Someone completely different. Okay. Okay. We, we haven't introduced the book for the listeners. But we'll just, we're going to table that for a second. We're going to come back to it. But Harlan, what did you think of Bethel's story? Well, like I said, you know, it just seems like just by the fact that he's trying to distance himself from in the story, it seems suspiciously fake to me. Okay, all right, that's a fair point. Uh, looking at this first account, because I, I ran down the original posting and I also found an updated one. 
Um, and in the updated posting, he talks about, like, when he initially posted the story, he tried to, like, run away from it. Uh, but then after a while, he kind of came back to it, and he's like, I still get phone calls to this day. And now he answers questions, and he, he talks to people about it. So he, he doesn't run from it as much now, but initially he did. And does that change your mind at all? A little bit, if he's more embracing about it, you know? And, like, I don't know. Yeah, it does a little, I guess. If he's embracing it rather than running from it. Okay. So this this story really, like I mentioned, brought into the public zeitgeist or the public mind of this phenomenon called black-eyed children. These things that show up at your window or at your the window of your car, like your home window, or they knock on your door and they, like, they want to be let in. And the children look odd, and we'll get into their characteristics later. But this is the... Bethel story is the most popular account of black-eyed children. It's, it's kind of become the rallying cry for anyone else who may or may not, like they could be making it up, have seen black-eyed children. But this is like really what brought a lot of attention to it. In addition to our attention, it brought a paranormal researcher by the name of David Weatherly, whose book I'm holding in my hand about the phenomena of black-eyed children. Weatherly, like many paranormal researchers and investigators, once hearing this tale, began performing massive amounts of research into the phenomena. A quick Google search or a Reddit search will reveal hundreds of accounts of people who claim to have experienced these black-eyed children. So it seems, on the face of it, there are no shortages of people who allegedly have experienced them. However, what makes Weatherly's research somewhat unique is that he focused predominantly on instances where people saw black-eyed children before the internet was as like big as it was, or while it was still in its infancy, and in some cases, before the internet even existed. Why? Because these cases were most likely not victims of the game of telephone, these accounts could be easily verified as true, or at the very least, we can like attest they're not just creepy pasta or urban legend or people having fun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, after reviewing an untold number of cases, Weatherly was able to build out a standard characteristic, like common across all occurrences, of people who have seen black-eyed kids or with. The shorthand they're probably called B-E-K. I wonder if these are like also missing children or something like that, you know? It, it's interesting. Wonder. It's interesting you bring that up because for a second, uh, our first case was in Abilene, Texas, right? Yeah. So would you think that this is a phenomenon that's just local to the United States because of that? I'm sure maybe there's local legends of other things out there like this. You know, I'm sure it's not just our cultural thing. So what if I told you that... um, I haven't exactly read the local legend myself, but there is a... I think it was the Iroquois. A very, like, obviously a Native American tribe. They had a legend that was somewhat similar about black-eyed kids. Black-eyed children have also been seen in... The United Kingdom, Canada, South Africa, China has a legend about them, and Iraq. Wow. So, so this is a global phenomenon. 
This isn't just local to Texas or even local to the United States. Aliens. Another good theory that we'll touch on later. You're, you're on fire tonight with like anticipating what the theories will be. But I like it. I like it. I like the engagement. So as for what common characteristics that Waverly discovered after looking at all these cases, um, the most prominent one is black eyes. And I don't mean like they have a really big pupil. I mean that the entire eyes, including the scleria, which is the white of the eye, is black. For easy context, think the demons from Supernatural. Okay. Entirely blacked out eyes. Everything is eclipsed. Their skin is either very, very pale, or it's described as olive-toned or unnaturally tan-looking. And I feel like in the 50s and the 60s or even the 1800s, this would have been weird, but now, like, spray tans kind of easily explain that. Like, it <laughs> could just be people with black contacts and spray tans showing yeah. up at people's doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, nowadays, yeah. And either pallor of their skin... They're described as being pasty and unnatural. Their faces appear gaunt and almost emaciated, so super skinny. Their bones are sticking out. They look like they haven't eaten in a long time. Their clothes are also described as ill-fitting and even old-fashioned, so showing up out of date. One witness described the clothing as almost Amish in appearance, something handmade. But the children have also been spotted in more modern clothing like in Bethel's encounter, where the kids were wearing hoodies and jeans, whatever the style, the clothes fit the children improperly. They're either far too large, they don't seem to conform to their body shape, or they're inappropriate for the weather. Uh, the manner in which the children speak is also odd. To quote Weatherly, it's described as formal and polite, but at the same time awkward and strained. Beverly cites one witness's description to quote that, it's almost as if they were taught a couple of lines. They memorize them and just keep repeating the same thing over and over. You know, like someone reading from a script. And some of the words, it's like they practice saying them. I just don't hear kids talking like that. Creepy for sure. Creepy for sure. And like, let's, let's reflect on uh, Bethel's case with the redhead kid, where they kept repeating like, this won't take long. Just let us in. Uh, and the redhead kid seemed genuinely confused why they weren't allowed into the car. It was like he was repeating words he didn't understand the meaning of, but was told, like, hey, these will work. And then when they didn't, he was like, well, did I say them wrong? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Hmm. It's an interesting thing to consider. Yeah. In a very small subset of cases, the children are also accompanied by a foul stomach-churning odor. The smell has been described as decaying garbage, rotten eggs, or even rotten meat. Now, Hall, now that you've heard this like general set of characteristics, what are your thoughts? Like, What leaps most immediately to your mind to explain black-eyed children? I still like my vampire theory the most. Did the smell not change anything for you? Smell of rotting meat. They're dead, right? Aren't vampires supposed to be dead? Yes, they are the undead. But the <laughs> one, the one that got me was rotten eggs. That's and like sulfur, which would make you think of demons, right? 
So that's another theory. And like I'll, I'll go into a list of possible theories for them. But yeah, it seems... It seems like black-eyed children sit between a lot of legends. Like even you, right now, have said aliens, vampires, and demons. It seems like black-eyed children kind of like catch the char characteristic corner of a lot of different things. So we'll, we'll talk about this later, but it makes you kind of wonder, are they something completely unique on their own? Or is it one of these three things that people are experiencing and then attributing differently? You know what I mean? That makes sense? Yeah. Now, Waverly was not so quick to jump for like an immediate paranormal uh, explanation to these things. He first researched medical conditions that perhaps might cause a child's eyes to turn completely black, or even a human's eyes to turn completely black. Shrooms. These conditions cause the eyes in some part to turn black, but Waverly was quick to add, none of the natural explanations cause your eyes to turn completely black. The first uh, medical explanation he came up with was, I hope I say this right, myodrysis. And this is an excessive dilation of the pupil. The condition can be caused by disease or trauma, occasionally even by drug use. This condition is often referred to as a blown pupil. So here the whites of the eyes are not turning black per se, but the pupil is expanding to the point where the iris is super small and it looks very, very large in appearance. And I've got a photo of that here for you, Harlem. Looks like he's tripping on some shrooms. Yeah, I mean, his, it looks like the black, so the, the black part of his eye, I think that's the iris, expands uncontrollably, but you can see like the outer edge of the, the color in his yeah, eye. Yeah, the color yeah. of his eye. So, and also you can very clearly see the whites of his eye. Yeah. So this doesn't quite match the description that Beverly gave us, or Bethel gave us. Definitely not, right. Right. Um, so the second explanation was glaucoma. Uh, not necessarily glaucoma, which is like where the, the lens on your eye thickens to the point you can't see out of your own eyes, but that some medication developed in recent years to treat the glaucoma have an impact on eye color. In these cases, though they're rare, blue, green, and hazel eyes have turned brown after a year of being on this particular medication. Oh, that's going to fucking suck if I'm older and I ever get that shit. Yeah, I really like the fact that I have light eyes. Yeah. And I'd, I'd be really bummed if something... My green eyes would go away. Yeah, my blue eyes would go away. I'd be, I'd be sad, man. That's like a huge part of my identity. Uh, but those who have experienced such a color change and then stopped using the meds report that their eyes do not change back. However, none of, in none of these instances of being on this medication do the eyes turn black. But that was just something that Waverly wanted us to consider. The next possible medical explanation, and I'm going to butcher the hair, hell out of this, is aniridia, a rare congenital condition where you, have, where you are born without the iris, which is the colored portion of your eye, and it typically affects both eyes. One thing that's interesting to note is that the vision in your eyes as a result is severely limited. So, like, let's reflect on Bethel's story where the kids just disappeared. Yeah. If you were having, like, assuming this is what those children had, you couldn't just run away because your eyesight is severely fucked up. And it's night, which would make it a lot worse. Harder to see. Right. Yeah. 
But yeah, yeah, I, I do mention here that aniridia is very much associated with something called Gillespie syndrome, and that many of those who have it also experience intellectual delay. Uh, but what's interesting to note is that one of the prescription, like, I, don't, I think of pain management routines is if you have this, they prescribe black contact lenses that cover the entire cornea. Um, but even then, covering the entire cornea, which is the very forefront of the eye, does not explain cover like the eyes being completely black. And I have another photo for you of someone wearing a black contact to help manage that. And you can still see the edge of the iris, the color, and the sclerea again, which is the white of the eye. The last... Uh, I wonder if that makes everything seem darker. I think, it, I think it would likely do that, yeah. The last medical possible explanation is the result of recreational drug use. Shrooms, baby. Well, shrooms will do that. Uh, too much cocaine will cause your eye to expand, or your, your pupil to expand super, super wide. Uh, possible non-medical explanations for entirely black eyes, but also not paranormal, are contacts. Uh, for older cases like Bethel's, which was in the 90s and even older, uh, colored contacts would have been really, really expensive. Roughly $260 a pair. But now they're like, this is 2021. They're much, much cheaper. They're like 30 bucks a pair. I think they're getting more expensive now. I mean, everything's getting more expensive now, but they're, they're not $260, if you will. Like, they're not what they were in the 90s or before. Another possible explanation is tattooing of the whites of the eyes, which is very painful. That doesn't make any sense, because they're children. Yeah, that would be weird. Like, typically you don't let children get tattoos. It's a really good point. Also, afterwards, your eyesight would be real crap, and there would be a massive risk of infection. And it would also be expensive. There are accounts dating back to 1869, where people attempted to do this, but most of the time it resulted in people going blind. The first successful account that Waverly cites in his book, which I don't, I'm remiss up until now of quoting or telling you its title, which is Black Eyed Children, uh, was in 2007, without like, they tattooed the eyes without someone going completely blind. And People do it a lot now, man. They do it a lot now. There's a guy who's modifying his whole body to look like the devil. And he's implanted horns. Yeah, I've, I've seen him. Made himself blue, chopped off his middle fingers. But I've also, you, you bring up a good point in terms of like, yeah, there are people who are very passionate about body modification. But what is those people's goal? Like, are they, are they really, when you stop and think about it, are people who are doing this and are putting on black contacts, they're, they're paying that money just to scare someone for 10 minutes to show up at the, their door and be like, let me in. No. This won't take long. I mean, I, they do it because they don't feel comfortable in their body and they want to express themselves or yeah, look like what they feel like, maybe? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I think on the whole, um, they're not doing, like, they're not showing up at people's house typically in the middle of the night to, to freak them out. So... 
while Waverly acknowledges like, hey, you know, I guess people could be wearing contacts and doing this, it seems highly unlikely. Also, people who are doing body modifications like the guy you were just talking about, they're not doing that so they can get a rise out of somebody. They're doing that to feel better about themselves and like how they, you know, whatever their self-image is. Or express. Yeah, or express themselves. So it seems unlikely like any of those people would be showing up at the freaking door of a stranger to freak him out. But those were the medical and non-medical but still not paranormal reasons for why people would be having black eyes. Do you want to hear the explanation that's more paranormal that might explain why black-eyed kids exist? Sure. The first one is aliens, alien hybrids, or a version of the men in black. Eh. You ever heard of the Men in Black beyond the, the Will Smith movie? Not really, other than the Will Smith movie. All right, so the other book I brought this evening, which fell in this box down here, is called The Mothman Prophecies. Another book which, honestly, we'll get into in its own right because this deserves to be talked about. Um... But the, there's this idea that the men in black are either this secret government organization that's designed to cover up UFO experiences and alien interactions, or they're aliens masquerading as humans attempting to interview people who have seen other aliens and intimidate them into not sharing their experiences. But this book, The Mothman Prophecies, is written by a guy named John A. Keel, who spent a good portion of his life Hunting UFOs and aliens. Uh, some people believe that the black-eyed kids are simply aliens who can mimic parts of human behavior, appearance, but they can't get their eyes right, which seems kind of odd to me because if you can mimic everything else, why can't you nail the eyes? Yeah. Um, and then there's this idea that it's alien hybrids. Uh, and in Weatherly's book, he actually interviews a woman who says like, I was pregnant, I was abducted, and then I wasn't, and then, like, months and months later, I met a child, like, I had an interaction with the black-eyed children, and something told me that this was my child. Or rather, let me backtrack, she was abducted, after she was abducted, she was pregnant, then she was abducted again, then was suddenly not pregnant, and then, like, a couple years later, a black-eyed kid showed up at her door, and she's like, Claims like, oh, I knew, I knew this was my child. It's an alien hybrid. How do you feel about it being aliens, hybrid aliens, or men in black? Do you buy any of that? Sounds like a great book. Yeah, or it sounds movie. like a. It sounds definitely sounds like an entertaining story. But do you buy it? Uh, not really. Okay, I know I asked that question twice, but I, I wanted to be sure. The second explanation, and this is one of the uh, another one of the points you touched on, because you did say aliens and vampires and demons, so they, they could be demonic entities. That's another theory. Do you? Uh, so we talked about completely black eyes, like in Supernatural. That's how demons appear. I don't think appear. so. You don't think so? You don't buy it? They need permission to enter. Yeah, demons don't, don't give a shit like about demons. that. They're they're gonna just do what they want. Yeah. Yeah, the permission to enter part brings us to the third theory, 
Some form of undead entity, ideally vampires, and the permission to enter is very similar to vampire lore. Yeah, I, I like to lean a little bit more towards the vampire theory. The last theory I have to mention is either a ghost or a spirit. And as I mentioned before, in China they believe that uh, there are ghosts that need permission to enter your home. And if you do, if you let them in, there's repercussions. Like it, they eat all your luck. And I'm going to read for you the first account from Bethel's book about that exact thing. Uh, so Bethel says he was traveling in China, and he first became like known of something called hungry ghosts, uh, which are these things, ghost stories that are common. And if the spirit was malevolent, it would often have red or black eyes. The eyes were never presented as the focus of the tale. It was merely an additional evidence from the storyteller to reaffirm the fact that the spirit was evil. So, we must wonder how much classical stories fit in with the modern accounts of black-eyed children. Have the black-eyed beings been here much longer than most people currently believe? I recall being told the story in southern China. It was the tale of an angry spirit terrorizing a nearby village and bringing misfortune to the people who lived there. The ghost was that of a young girl, angry at her wrongful death. No one seemed to know who the girl was or how old she was when she died or who was to blame. The people held the ghost of the girl responsible for numerous disasters and misfortunes in the area. To see the spirit of the girl meant one was about to experience bad misfortune. Miscarriages, infant deaths were said to be the result of those close encounters with the dreadful spirit. If there were no babies in the family, the person encountering the spirit girl would lose their youngest relative. The ghost was described as a young girl around 14 to 16 years of age. She would appear in the village late at night. Often she would knock on doors asking to be let in. She could appear suddenly and most people believed it wasn't safe to stay out too late, especially if the moon was full. The angry spirit always wore a long white dress and was barefoot. She had long black hair and her skin was deathly pale. Her, or pale. her eyes were solid black. The villagers believed that they would be haunted by the girl until the mystery of her death was solved and the nature of her wrongful passing was corrected. Fortune tellers tried to determine the nature of the curse to no avail. Finally, a Taoist priest was called to the village to exorcise the evil spirit. He determined the nature of the girl's death and why she continued to linger. He cleansed the area and forced the vengeful spirit to move on, setting her soul at ease. By all accounts, the ritual was successful. The town's fortunes changed dramatically after the exorcism. After the ceremony, sightings of the girl spirit ceased. The town believed the vengeful ghost had finally been put to rest. Well, that kind of matches up with the story, and I wonder what the fuck the ritual was. There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of similarities. She wants to be let in, um, the black eyes, but also... And the skin. The, yeah, the pale skin, but also the white dress and the long black hair. What does that remind you of? La Llorona. La Llorona, yeah. Our very first case. So this, like I said earlier, like... Black-eyed children have some characteristic of a lot of different paranormal things we've looked at. So it makes me kind of wonder, like, is this something on its own? Or is it people seeing something we already know about and misidentifying it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Hmm. 
So one of the interesting things about Black Eyed Kids, and I mentioned earlier that um, they have similarities to aliens that were spotted by John A. Keel. So I'm holding two books for those of you at home in my hand. I have Weverly's Black Eyed Children. I have John A. Keel's Mothman Prophecies. And some of the characteristics of the aliens that uh, Keel experiences match up pretty closely with that of David, David Weatherly. The point of this little aside is that this could be considered cross-corroboration of the alien theory, in part, if we can believe these two, which is kind of interesting. However, what's important to note is that Weatherly's book was published almost 40 years after John A. Keel's book. So Weatherly, even though this is in print, which oftentimes people are like, oh, we can consider this to be fact because it's in print, it's a book. It, he could simply have stolen this guy's information and re repackaged it. Like, this could be telephone without the internet, you know what I mean? Yeah. We, unfortunately, won't know without looking at more evidence. But I talked about the men in the black, and I talked about the alien hybrids. Do you, do you buy this idea that maybe they're aliens and these guys are writing about this, this same thing, but they're calling it by a different name? He's insisting that it's more... Alien hybrid. And he's saying it's more alien visitation. Do you, really, do you buy the whole alien thing? We got Keel saying aliens. We got Weatherly saying maybe it's alien hybrids or demons or vampires. Do you, do, you, do you have a strong feeling one way or the other with these two guys and their work? I don't know, man. I don't, I don't think aliens. I just don't think aliens. Yeah, I, I agree. In, in my opinion, like there, there are very clear similarities between Keel and Weatherly's account, accounts. Both cite organisms that look similar to humans, but witnesses cite that they look off, their skin color's weird, they dress weird, their, their mannerisms are off. Uh, they speak formally in an outdated language. In Keel's book, he cites figures arrive noticeably in cars that are from periods beyond the current time. They look super, super pristine. The only real major difference between Keel's aliens and Weatherly's maybe they're aliens is the fact that the children have super black eyes. Um, but I don't I don't buy I don't buy the, the alien explanation, honestly. I think that's kind of dumb. And also I think the alien hybrid theory is super off. Yeah, I like this ghost or vampire theory a little more. I think I I do too, and I think my my rationale here is that if you have the ability to travel light years in a spaceship you're you not can, gonna be knocking on a door and asking to go in. You just take. right. That's weird, and also you definitely have the technology if you can travel across galaxies super quickly to make it so that whatever you even if it is an alien hybrid, it looks superhuman. Yeah. Not like superhuman, like Superman, but like it looks exactly human. You have the technology to replicate that. So I think that whole thing is kind of dumb. The the whole alien theory is completely off. Um, and we, we kind of talk, talked about theories. We, we've discounted the alien thing, but really what we need to get into is the evidence accounts of people who have seen black-eyed children. And where I really want to start is with Bethel's story, because when I was rewriting it, 
for this podcast, I noticed there were some holes. To start with, the year is 1996 by Bethel's recollection. He can't pin down uh, a date, per se. So what I really locked in on was the fact that Mortal Kombat was being shown in the theater. Do you know when the original Mortal Kombat aired? No. 1992. So four years before this event. Now, Mortal Kombat had a couple spinoffs in it. Mortal Kombat 2 and Mortal Kombat 3. The last one coming out in 1995. April of 1995. Um, And I thought that was really kind of interesting because Bethel says that the weather was warm enough that he remembered wearing shorts. So, I mean, it is South Texas, but if it's warm enough and it's 1996 for you to wear shorts... It's kids, too, though, dude. Kids always wear hoodies. I mean, that's... Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. But it seems odd to me... That he says it's Mortal Kombat, not Mortal Kombat 2, not Mortal Kombat 3. And he's insistent the year is 1996, even though the movie came out four years before. I mean, I don't think it's a weird dude, because movies still replay movies from the past all the time. Yeah, yeah, okay. Just like as a specialty, or just like, you know, it happens. Yeah, I literally have in my notes here to play devil's advocate, perhaps it was a specialty re-showing. We don't know. But you you think it's not something to... And make. I mean, the guy mentioned that he could see the time and the showing. So it's not like the kids are making up a story. Like, he could visibly also see the sign, too, in a story. Right. But really what I'm saying is, like, where he could have possibly made it up was that he's talking about there being a movie on the marquee that was four years old at that point. I don't think the kids... Like, I'm not saying the kids were lying about the movie. I'm saying he's lying about what movie... Like, he made it up and just picked a movie that he thought of without realizing how old it was. That's that's my thought process. But you think it's it's like... Like, that doesn't take any credibility away. Nah. Okay, fair, fair. Yeah. Now, as I mentioned before, Weatherly's research into black-eyed children was predominantly focused on experiences before the modern internet. So you might be wondering, like, what was the first evidence he came up with black-eyed children? What is it? What if I told you it came in the year 1950? So, Bethel's, the most, like, well-known case, 1996... 1950 would have been 46 years before. And so I want to bring you the account of a young man named Harold. When Harold was 16 years old, he encountered a strange child. No one could ever explain where the boy had come from, nor was the weird boy ever reported in the area again after Harold's run-in with him. Harold was walking home early one evening just before sundown. He was taking his time, strolling along the dirt road, when he reached the fence that lined the road that led to his family's home. There, leaning against the corner fence post, was a young boy about 10 to 12 years of age. Harold slowed down, puzzled. Since he knew everyone in the small community, uh, in his small West Virginia home, town, yet he'd never seen this boy before. Harold had a good-natured manner and would talk to anyone about anything, When he reached the boy, he simply started talking to him. 
The boy didn't respond. He just stood there, leaning against the post, looking slightly down toward the ground. Receiving no response, Harold wondered if there was something wrong with the boy. He stopped talking for a moment before leaning closer. Hey, uh, you alright? Harold asked. With this, the boy finally spoke. His reply was rather blunt. I want to go to your house. Take me to your house. Harold felt a strange chill come over him at the boy's response. He wasn't sure what to say. He couldn't understand why a boy he didn't know was asking to go to his house. At that moment, the young boy looked up directly at Harold. It was then that he realized the young boy's eyes were solid black. There was not a speck of white showing in his eyes. Harold began to feel very afraid. He looked up the drive toward his house, but he felt rooted to the spot for some reason, but his thoughts were focused on how fast he could run to his home. Harold's thoughts seem seemingly pronounced a further comment from the strange black-eyed boy. The child scowled at him and said coldly, Now don't you run away from me. You're going to walk me to your house. The comment seemed like a threat, and it was the final straw for Harold. He launched into a mad dash up the drive toward the house. He was running as hard as he could, and he didn't look back for fear the weird child would follow him. Partway up the drive, Harold could hear a strange call behind him. It sounded like a scream of a bod bobcat. Of course, the screeching sound only served to help Harold's legs move faster in the rush to reach his home. I think I must have really angered that boy, Harold later commented. He screamed out and I thought for sure he was coming to get me. Once safely in his house, Harold slammed the door behind him. His parents were seeing him so out of breath and asked what's wrong. He told him about his encounter with the creepy boy, thinking he would get to the bottom of things. Harold's father promptly walked down the driveway with the shotgun in hand, but found no sign of the boy his son had described. Harold's parents listened to their son recount the story a second time, asking a few questions along the way. Since their son was never one to make up stories, his parents believed the tale. Harold insisted the child he encountered was solid and could not have been a ghost. His father simply wasn't sure what to make of the encounter. While he had heard strange tales in the country, he never heard of anything like the black-eyed kid his son described. For her part, Harold's mother firmly believed her son had met the devil himself. To that end, she promptly had him dress in good clothes and took him to the local clergy for a blessing. Harold's father later spoke to nearby neighbors to see if they'd encountered anything strange. While a couple of area residents reported they'd recently heard a bobcat, none of them had seen any out-of-place children. The family decided to keep the story quiet. If by chance their son had encountered the devil, they didn't want any talk about him getting around, or for that matter, anything that might end up that might cause the black-eyed boy to return. What do you think about that story? Sounds pretty creepy. And like he's needing to be let in again. Yeah, again, again, we keep up. we keep going back to that. But Harold's mom automatically snaps to this, like it's the devil. Anything out of outside of that reaction to her believing it's the devil convinced you that yeah, it was the devil. No, if it was the devil, I feel like something else would have happened. You know, like he probably would have gotten into the house or the devil would have just asked him to do something else, really, rather than letting him into his house. I don't know. Yeah, one of the things that I found kind of interesting just having watched a shitload of Supernatural is he seems to meet this kid where the road joins his driveway. And what does that remind you of? A 
crossroad. So, like, a black-eyed thing. But still, devil takes. Demons yeah. take. Demons take. They don't ask permission. This one was a little bit odd, odd that he was like, I'm coming home with you. He wasn't asking. He was telling him, I'm coming home. So it, it was a little bit more takey, but not exactly like he outright possessed him and wrote him home type of thing. That's true. What other characteristic from Supernatural have we been conditioned to believe demons have other than black eyes? I don't know. What are you, what are you getting at? Sulfur. The smell. smell. So I don't remember you saying anything about a smell from the boy. Right. So it got me wondering, if these things are demons, and we're going to assume for a second they are, just for the sake of the investigative process, then why didn't Harold come across a smell? So it got me wondering, is there more of the unusual characteristics of demons noticed by people who have seen black-eyed kids supported by this theory? Like, has anyone else who claims to have seen a black-eyed kid also said that they came across a demon, like a, the smell of sulfur, something demonic. And I found the case from a guy named John in Toronto. And John was an overnight security officer at a local office building in Toronto, right? You know, he, I guess the office is in a pretty safe neighborhood because John never really has a lot of work. Um, and so John got into the habit of bringing a fat stack of magazines every time He'd go to work and he he would sit at his security desk and like every once an hour he'd walk through the building and make sure everything was locked up and no one had broken in, right? But his security desk kind of like it had a view to the main doors of the lobby, but it was hidden enough that he could sit behind his desk and no one would know he was there. He could see out, but he couldn't be seen. That's important. So John's sitting there and he just completed his search. He cracks a magazine when suddenly he says... And this is in 2007, on a Thursday night, as John recounts. He hears the sharp rapping of a fist on glass. John kind of like sits up from his desk, he puts his magazine down, and he notices that there's two boys wearing hooded sweatshirts that were standing very close to the glass. He can see the boys very clearly, and he estimated them to be in their early teens. John felt the chill come over him when he reached the glass door. The boys looked directly at John, putting their faces close to the glass. Let us in, the boy said. John spoke out loudly. Office is closed, boys. You'll have to come back tomorrow. Let us in, the boy repeated. John looked closer at the boy, wondering why they were out so late. The neighborhood is fairly safe. And in all his time as a guard for the building, John had rarely had any incidents. Occasionally, a drunk or a homeless person would show up trying to get in and use the bathroom. They usually went on their way when the guard appeared. The boys continued to stare through the glass door. They were clearly visible in the building's entrance. And John now realized what was wrong about the situation. The boys staring up at him had solid black eyes. The guard swallowed hard and tried to take a deep breath to calm his nerves. Before he could respond, the boy spoke again. Let us in. We want to read your magazines. John thought perhaps the kids were on drugs or attempting to play a prank or perhaps both. 
He held up a portable phone he had grabbed off the desk and made a point of letting the kids see it. A thought then struck him. How did the kids know he had magazines? They were in a pile on his desk and not visible from the entrance. Was it a lucky guess? It had made him feel even more uneasy. He tried his best to stay calm, but his nerves were on edge. Look, boys, just go home. You can't hang around here. I'll call the cops if I need to. The boys were, were still rapping on the glass, and the noise was starting to get on the guard's nerves. Let us in, so he can see your magazines. John couldn't answer. He looked at the strange boy, and then at his phone. He looked down and dialed the number for the police station and put the phone to his ear, looking up as he did so. The boys were gone. In those few seconds, they vanished. Sorry, boys. No porno stash for you. <laughs> John was quickly against the glass, looking in each direction, trying to catch a glimpse of which way the boys had gone. There wasn't anything nearby that would offer a hiding place for the kids. How could they have vanished so quickly? John quickly disconnected the call. Maybe he was tired. Maybe his mind was playing tricks. He stood there for a moment, trying to process what had happened. Convinced he could have imagined the boys, he opened the door to have a look around the entrance. He wanted to make sure they weren't hanging around outside where he couldn't see them. When he pulled open the door, a foul odor overwhelmed him. The stench was so bad, John felt his stomach heave. He covered his mouth and nose with the side of his jacket, fighting the urge to vomit. He'd never smelled anything like it before. He closed the door quickly and stepped back several feet. Going back toward the entrance, he found the odor still lingered in the entire entrance area. John covered his nose again and went outside. The foul smells all around the door where the kids had been standing. He took several paces in each direction, scanning the street and the sidewalk to see if there's any sign of the kids. Finding nothing, he went back into the building. The smell lingered around the front entrance for a good hour or more. John describes it as rotten eggs and fecal matter mixed together. It was the worst odor I'd ever encountered, he said. For days, I felt like the smell was on my clothes. I washed my uniform three times, and I still thought I could smell it. Damn. So we talked about black eyes and the rotten egg smell of sulfur. Does that lend any credibility here for uh, demons, in your opinion? Yeah, sounds more like demon to me, I guess. Yeah. It, 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 adds, a, it adds a little bit of credibility in, in that vein. Uh, but not enough, really, for me to be like immediately like, ah, yeah, it's demons. You know what I mean? Like, I keep coming back to this idea, like, if all these people are seeing it, then, like, where, where's the evidence? Like, any of you have a photograph? Or, like, a video. Yeah. You know? And we'll, we'll get into that like in a second. Security camera or Yeah, we'll get into that in a second. Like 2007, you know? Especially in John's event, where he's a literal security guard. If they, if they have the money to pay a security guard, then they have money for security cameras, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, Weatherly doesn't come up with any evidence in that account. Instead, what he offers for the skeptics is that of a, uh, a former prison guard by the name of Paul. And Paul, he says, on numerous occasions, was like, he's a big man. He's six foot four. He was a prison guard for a very, very long time. And he also makes a point of saying that Paul was a massive skeptic. He didn't believe in... Anything paranormal, and I don't, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, so uh, to quote Weatherly's book, Paul once said, I want you to know that I don't just, I don't believe in Bigfoot or flying saucers or anything like that. 
Now, Weatherly apparently had known this Paul guy for a long time. And Paul, like I said, had been a massive skeptic. But he runs into Paul at one point, and it seems like there's something Paul wants to talk about, but he's kind of uncomfortable with it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Weatherly is like, all right, yeah, he's, he's out having lunch one day. He's like, hey, Paul, sit down. We can talk about whatever it is you saw that's bugging you. And so he says, after Paul said, hey, I don't believe in Bigfoot or flying saucers, there's a butt hanging in the air. I've encountered this many times over the year. A non-believer who, despite a skeptical attitude, has some experience they simply can't explain in rational terms. No problem, Paul, I responded. If there's anything you want to tell me about, I won't judge you. Paul shifted around a bit, clearly trying to get comfortable and focused. He wasn't the kind of person who was used to opening up, and this was obviously difficult for him. Clearly, though, it was something he needed to talk about. Is this something that happened? It's just something that happened, and I've never been able to understand it. I figured, with all the weird stuff you researched, maybe you'd get some insight on it, Paul said. I'll certainly give you any information I can, I replied. Paul took a deep breath and sat back. When he began his story, a visible change came over him. Paul was not a small man. He stood around six foot three and looked like a linebacker. I knew he lifted weights on a regular basis and actively trained in martial arts. He'd been in the service when he was young, then worked for years as a prison guard. He was a man who had been in some very intense situation in this time. He'd seen brutal fights, prison brawls, knife attacks, the worst society had, had to offer. Nothing seemed to have prepared him for uh, this running with black-eyed children. So Paul then goes on to account a time where he's home alone. He goes to say, it wasn't often that I had the house to myself, his wife and his son were out, and I just wanted to enjoy a really low-key, relaxing night. Standing in the kitchen, he'd just gotten home from work while working at the prison. He's about to make himself a sandwich, crack a beer, have a couple, and go to bed. That's when he heard a knock at the front door. At first, I wasn't sure it was a knock, Paul said. It was kind of soft and continuous, and I thought maybe it was just some of the other noises from outside. I kept making my food and ignored it for a few minutes. Then the knocking got louder, and I knew it was someone knocking at the front door. Paul makes a point of saying it was odd that they never rang the doorbell. So Paul makes a point of saying it was odd they never rang the doorbell. Like, why are they just knocking? Why aren't they using the doorbell? So Paul goes finally to the front door, and he looked through the small side panel windows next to the door frame and saw two young boys on the porch. He guessed from their size they were between 12 and 14 years old. Paul opened the door and looked at the kids. They weren't children from his neighborhood because he knew all the local kids. The boys were dressed in a similar fashion, both wearing hoodies and jeans. One boy's top was gray, the other boy's top was dark brown. The boy in brown stood slightly behind the boy in gray hoodie, and they both had their heads tilted downward, both silent and saying nothing. I thought something was odd about the scene, and neither child said anything when I opened the door. They just stood there with their heads down, like you do in the rain, but it wasn't raining. Can I help you? Paul asked. He expected a sales pitch. Perhaps the kids were fundraising for a school or selling magazines. Maybe they just had the wrong house. What he didn't expect was the response he received. The lead boy in gray kind of smiled and replied, Hey, we just wanted to stop by for a bit. Paul was puzzled by the odd reply. 
It's almost like I didn't understand the statement, he said. I know these boys weren't friends of my son's because I knew my son's friends, and he was much younger than these two. After a moment, Paul responded to the boys. Do I know you guys? I think you've got the wrong house. The boys didn't react to Paul's comment. After a moment, the lead boy spoke again. Oh, well, it's getting kind of late. Can we come in for a bit? It was another odd response, and Paul wasn't sure what to think about the situation. Something was causing the hair on the back of my neck to go up, he recalled. I felt like this kid was ignoring me and focusing on me all at the same time. It made no sense. Why in the hell would a couple of kids show up at a stranger's door and want to come in? With his internal alarms going off, Paul began to look at the kids even more closely. It was early in the evening and the porch light was on, so he shifted his hands to get a better look at their faces. He wanted to know exactly who these boys were and what they were up to. It was then that Paul realized with shock the boys' eyes were solid black. They had no white of the eye, he said. I've thought about this sight ever since, and they didn't have any kind of glasses or anything else. This was the natural eyes that I saw. The lead boy looked directly at Paul and spoke again. This time his voice was more insistent and suddenly seemed more threatening. It would be good if you let us in. Let us come in now. You don't want to, you don't have to think about it. Just open the door some and ask us in. Paul felt rude at the spot. His brain was trying to process what was happening. I didn't feel like I could move. I was a little dizzy and I had a kind of a numb feeling. I started thinking that maybe I should just let them in after all. There were only a couple of kids. Paul wasn't sure how long he stood there. He felt locked in, in at the moment, trying to make his body move. The same boy spoke once more. It's okay. It won't take long. The comment jerked me into action, Paul stated. All of a sudden, I felt my fight or flight response kick in and got me moving. Even though Paul, six foot three, built like a linebacker, towered over these two boys, his response is one of fear. He slammed the door shut, shouting at the boys to get off his porch as he did so. Last thing I saw, I was slamming the door shut with these two boys looking at me. Two sets of those creepy, solid black eyes just boring a hole into me. Now, Paul would go on to say that he felt like he had to hold the door shut, that locking it wasn't enough. He'd even go on to say that he had to go get his gun and like look around and make sure there was no way the boys could have break, broken into the house. I'd had enough. No one is going to invade my home or make me feel afraid like that. Hell yeah, I'd get a gun too. So he, run, he gets his gun and he runs back to the front door and the boys are just gone. It was the weirdest thing. The porch was empty, but I know it only taken me a couple of minutes at the most to grab and load that pistol. I searched the yard front and back, driveway and garage, even went up and down the street. There was no sign of the black-eyed boys anywhere. Now what I think that's really compelling about this particular case is this is a huge human being, right? Six foot three, built like a linebacker. Oh, he's gotta go get a gun. Who knows, man. And yeah. he feels so afraid that he's gotta go get a gun to protect him from children. Yeah. So what do you think? I don't about know, you're getting I was getting creep vibes from just hearing it, dude. Yeah. I'd be like, go away, and they're like insisting, they keep insisting to come in. And you know? Here we also have like a echoing of that hypnotic quality that uh, Bethel talked about, where even though he knew he shouldn't open the door, he found himself kind of reaching for the lock to let the kids in. And here with Paul's story, it's the same thing. Like he knows there's something wrong here. There's something off about these children. Yeah. But he still feels compelled to invite them in. I'll call the cops or something. <laughs> so did you ever wonder if there are accounts of people who actually let the children in and what happened? Yep. 
I wonder if people have reported on it. I've got two stories for you, okay? They're not from... One's from uh, Weatherly's book here. The other one was an account that I found on Reddit, or rather another podcast called The Darker Side of Life found on Reddit that I'm going to paraphrase for you, okay? Let's hear it. So the year's 2016. It's Vermont, all right? It's the winter. And on this particular night, there's a massive blizzard taking place. Snow is just coming down. There's a woman and her husband at home alone when suddenly they hear at the door. Now, the woman's been in the living room. She gets up from the couch and she goes and she looks at the window. And she says she notices, and this is distinct, two sets of footprints leading up to the door but no sign of a car having passed them by on the street, all right? And as soon as she notices the two sets of footprints, she hears the same thing at the front door. So she goes to the front door and she takes a look through the people and there standing at the front door are two boys. And to quote the woman, she says, they looked like they weren't dressed for the cold. She doesn't say what that means, but again, there's a blizzard outside. Yeah. So you got to imagine they don't have snow boots on, they don't have jackets, no hats, no gloves. Maybe, like we've seen in the past, just hoodies and pants. They're going to let them in, aren't they? So she opens the door really, really quickly, and she's like, boys, get in here. It's cold outside. What are you doing? What's wrong? The boys don't say anything. They simply move into her living room, and they go sit down on the couch. And she's like, she's in full mom mode right now. She's fussing over them. She's like, oh. Where are your jackets? What's going on? Where did you come from? Like, what are you doing out there? And all the boys will say is, our parents will be here soon. And she's like, okay. That's not weird, apparently. So she's like, I'm going to go make you hot chocolate to warm you up. You guys stay on the couch. We've got a fire going in the fireplace. Just warm up. So she hustles into the kitchen. She makes hot chocolate and she comes back. And as she sets the tray down on the tray table, the boys finally say something different after she asked all these questions. Where'd you come from? Where are you going? They both ask at the same time, can we use your bathroom? She's like, yeah, of course. It's at the end of the hall. Just go into that hallway, take a right, go to the bathroom. So eventually they come back and they sit back on the couch. And it's at this point that the woman's husband, maybe hearing the boys move down, up and down the hallway, maybe hearing his wife sound like She's talking to someone without really getting much of an answer. He comes into the room. And as soon as he enters the room, he has this massive and sudden nosebleed. So his wife hustled over to him. and She's like, oh, we got to get you to the bathroom. we got to get you cleaned up. Um, so the two of them go back to the bathroom. The two boys had just been in. And they're working on getting them cleaned up. When she happens to look over down the hallway, and the two boys are no longer sitting on the couch. They're standing at the end of the hallway staring at her. And for the first time, she notices their eyes are solid black. And it's almost as if they can read her mind. Because as soon as she notices, oh shit, their eyes are black, does the larger the two boys go, our parents are here. So she gets her husband like cleaned up enough that he can take care of himself. And she follows the boys as they go back out in the winter cold. And there's a dark car waiting for them at the end of the driveway. And there's two men in suits, dark suits, waiting for them. Now, the woman would go on to say that after this night, her husband was diagnosed 
with a very rare form of skin cancer that is only present in people who have been exposed to high levels of radiation. Unfortunately for her husband, he wouldn't survive the cancer and, and passes away. Damn. After that night, she also develops a new phenomena of having nosebleeds frequently and all the, like, intense. And she attributes both her husband passing away and her nosebleeds to the fact that she let these black-eyed children into the home. And what I find very interesting about her account, and we, dis we discounted the whole alien theory earlier, but the fact that these guys got into a dark car by men in dark suits almost ties back into David Weatherly, or not David Weatherly, the men in black, like John Keel, men in black, yeah. So what do you think about that story? <clears throat> Creepy as fuck. What those kids do in the bathroom. Yeah. So, the second story I have for you. They're like little radioactive bombs. Possibly. And if they're aliens, then maybe they're exposed to like radiation that they can take that we can't. And it's really detrimental for us. Maybe. Um, the second story, this is cited in David Weatherly's book. Alright. This woman is driving home one night with her son, and they stop at a gas station. And her son is about 10 years old, so she pulls in, she's like, hey, I'm going to run to the gas station and grab something real quick. Stay in the car, all right? And he's like, yeah, okay. So she runs into the store. When she comes back outside, she jumps into the passenger, or the driver's seat, and she looks in the rearview mirror, and suddenly, her son is not alone in the back. There's another child sitting there with solid black eyes. Did the son let the kid in? So she freaks out, runs or gets out of the car, grabs her son, and runs back in the store. And she's like, what, what's going on? He goes, hey, look, this kid came up, approached the car, and he asked to be let in. And I figured he needed help. So I let him in the car. So she's like, okay, that's creepy. She calls her husband. She's like, look, you need to come and drive my car back. Um, I'm not driving it. And she tells him what happened. So her husband drives up. The two of them exchange cars. The wife and her son get in one car. The husband gets in the car that the black-eyed kid had been led into who's now gone. Man, why are you fucking... Oh, God, he disappeared. Okay. So the husband starts driving the car home, and in the process, he gets into an accident, and the car's totaled. He's fine, but the car's destroyed. Meanwhile, after this event, their son starts coming down with a really mysterious illness. He's constantly sick. And every time they bring him to the doctor, the doctor is like, okay, we think it's this. And they'll start to treat it, and then the, the symptoms change. It's like the disease knows. It's constantly mutating, constantly mutating, constantly changing. Hmm. So after doing this for years and years and years, they finally settle, we're, we need to take a different approach. So they bring their son to a faith healer, and they start taking a different tactic with treating. Instead of using medicine... They use prayer and positive thinking. And suddenly, he's getting a little bit better. He's getting a little bit better. And suddenly, everything's gone. But just like with that first story I told you where they let the black-eyed children in, they attribute that incident to the black-eyed children. They attribute this incident as well. And they think that the black-eyed child wasn't an alien, like it seems like maybe it was in the first case, but that it was something demonic that was feeding on the child. 
and it only was after prayer and you know faith-based intervention that they finally were able to get rid of it what do you think about that Sounds kind of like spiritual a little bit. Prayer and whatever to get rid of it. But once more, it kind of goes back to that, like, is it an alien? Is it a vampire? Is it a demon? Is it something entirely different? We don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. So one of the things that's kind of interesting about black-eyed children is they like to show up at people's homes. And they like to show up at people's homes, especially right after dark. So it got me thinking, in the modern era, because I looked on Reddit and people are still claiming to have experienced these things. In the modern area, there's ring doorbells. There's security cameras. Yeah, there's got to be some kind of film out there. Who's Yeah, who's got evidence of this? Well, David Weatherly has an interesting passage in his book that kind of addresses this. He goes, on rare occasions, video cameras have been present where individuals encountered the kids. Later review of the videotape or the recording showed no sign of the children. Recordings have been blank. Glitches have caused the tapes to skip forward or the system was found to have been shut down entirely without any human agent being involved. On at least one occasion, a videotape showed the witness talking to thin air. So I tried to fact check this by looking up for video evidence of people who've claimed to see black-eyed children. Nothing. Mm. So maybe there's something to this. Well, that's all the evidence. That's all the accounts I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring up with you right now. But before we get into whether or not we think this is something paranormal or something you have to be drunk to believe in, I really kind of want to settle that question we've been asking all through the podcast. We talked about angry spirits. We talked about demons, vampires, aliens, even alien-human hybrids being an explanation for these things. Could black-eyed kids be a fringe sighting of one of these other things, or do you think there's something on their own? Are they their own paranormal entity or are they maybe people are seeing vampires ghosts demons and attributing it to something different what are your thoughts i like the vampire theory the most honestly. you think that's the most credible out of all yeah me personally i think i'd lean more towards demons based off of the black eyes and the smell but where they lose credibility is the fact that like demons don't need to be invited in yeah. That's why I like to lean more towards the vampire theory with trying to be let in. But then, like, it doesn't match up when those kids just leave, you know? No. Because demons, demons don't leave unless they get what they want. But that brings up another question. Like, what, what do these kids even want? And, like, Weatherly's book doesn't really answer it. None of the research I read answered. Like, they want to be let in, but why? Like, what's the end goal? What are they? Just some kind of death element, maybe. You think so? Like more of a death element? what it sounds like, yeah. You let them in, you let the death element. Bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Your car crashes, your kid got sick. There's another... I mean, we talked about the hungry ghost thing from China. And there was one case that Weatherly talks about where, like, this girl is at home and she's washing dishes or, like, doing something in her kitchen. And the kitchen window's open. And there's a girl that appears there with black eyes and is like, hey, let me in. Like, I want to come in. Um, and the girl's like, well, my dad's sleeping. I got to go ask him. And she runs to her father and is like, there's a little girl in the window that wants to be let in. And her father's like, no, uh, that's, that's a bad thing. And they like burned, 
uh, I forget what it's called, some type of like specialty paper, because they're hungry ghosts and they like put food out for it and they burn sage to like keep it away. But it doesn't. It doesn't really. You know, doesn't answer really what it is. Like a lot of people have different theories about it, whether it's aliens or vampires or demons or ghosts. I like the more than vampires. I like the death element idea. I think a little more. Okay, so then some kind of like a ghost death element type thing. So I guess I'm gonna ask you then. You think death omens are, or really black eyed children? You think it's a death omen, but you think black eyed children or paranormal, or is it something you need to be drunk to believe in? I'm gonna go with paranormal just because. Really? Yeah, dude. Wow. Okay. Just because I like the fact that there's a a cross cultural thing about it going on. Yeah. You know, and um, I mean, I'm not too big on the kill guy with the alien shit or whatever. So aliens is firmly out for you. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that part yeah. wholeheartedly. I would like to think it's maybe some kind of like an omen of death. All right. I, I like that. It goes for him. As a writer, I like that as a thematic theme. Yeah. Uh, as a paranormal investigator, I don't buy any of this. There are too many holes. Like, I keep coming back to, like, where's the video evidence? Where are the photographs? Yeah, I mean, I guess there does need to be evidence. So. Especially in the era, like, these things are coming to people's homes. Like, I know yeah. they're not ringing doorbells. But, like, ring doorbells are censored now to pick up movement. So, like, if these are if this is actually happening, where are they? You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, I'll change my vote, and I'll go with you got to be drunk to believe in it. But if it is true, then my vote would definitely be towards the omen. All right, yeah. I, I wasn't trying to change your vote there, but... I That's was... what I, I guess, meant by my vote there. Okay, so we're, we're going double. Yeah. you got to be drunk. You gotta be drunk, cause I mean you're right. There's not a lot of evidence to support it, like we were mentioning. I I will say this though, like, do you remember in the last? Uh, do you remember in the? Uh, I think it was the Red Death episode that we recorded, where we were talking about like Adam Tausch and his like zombie cow story, mm -hmm. and how we were like, you know. Um, when you hear it, it's kind of ridiculous, but somehow it's still kind of scary. Well, when I, when I was researching Black Eyed Kids, like when I was reading the book in the light of day and I'm sitting in my room and I'm enjoying my life, I wasn't scared by these things. I thought they were complete bullshit. But there was some element to them, like when I would get up at four in the morning to go to the gym or it'd be dusk and I had to run out to my car to get something, that I was a little afraid. I was going to open the door and there was going to be a Black Eyed Kid standing there. So while I think this is complete bullshit, you gotta be drunk to believe in, I'm gonna admit it's still kinda scary in its own right, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's 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 all I'm trying to say. But guys, that's it. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash drunkenly paranormal. If you have a case you'd like us to look into, please email us at drunkenlyparanormal at gmail.com. All right, guys, I'd like to remind you, please, please, please don't drink and drive in Harlem, as always. Stay fucked up.